Before we bite into this episode of Bitten Peach Pod, I wanted to take a moment to honor the life and work of Sophie Gwen Williams, the trans activist and one of the founders of We Exist, which is a trans health devoted charity. Our guest today is also one of the leaders of that group, and unfortunately, Sophie passed away this week, but we will be honoring her this Sunday. That would be May 30th in Downs Hill Park at 4 p.m. Downs Hill Park is in Northeast London, Bring flowers, bring candles, and let's honor Sophie. And here we are back again at Bitten Peach Pod. It's me, it's still Shay Shay, your host, the half Japanese, half Irish, non-binary drag artist, performer, writer, director, whatever, whatever, whatever. And we're here being queer and Asian as per usual. That's what we do here for those of you just just joining us for the first time. Bitten Peach Pod is where two queer Asians bite down into all the things that we want to talk about our lives our culture the pop culture that shaped us things in society that we love things in the culture that we don't love and we just get to be queer and asian and that experience is different for each one of us and you may think some of the things that we do talk about are not specifically queer and asian but the thing is we contain multitudes actually so we're allowed to talk about whatever we want and that is exactly what we're gonna do so today we have two peaches in the pod it's me and our amazing guest who is an international citizen of the world an activist a community organizer one of the driving forces behind the trans powerhouse that is we exist please welcome into your podcastular that's the adjective for podcast i've just decided your podcastular experience it is june lamb hey babes hiya babes you're right yeah kai yeah kai you're not my babe i have a question right off the bat do you have you found that your time in the UK has allowed you to put on a British accent to any sort of um believability? No. No, me neither. <laughs> I always think I can do it, but it's a mess. I think I've it's got kind of an ambiguous accent now, which is quite annoying. Um I I'd like to think that I've kept the Australian, but then whenever I meet an Australian, they're like, You're not Australian anymore. <gasps> really? Which is quite upsetting. Disowned. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, Rejected. It's sad. I think it's a bit racist. <laughs> oh. I mean, some of the root has to be that. Because if they... Yeah, if they can't immediately detect your accent as from where they're from, and you don't, quote-unquote, look like what people from Australia look like. You know. But that's not true. There's loads of loads of Asians in Australia. Isn't that right? Uh, uh, yeah, I grew up in, like, a mostly Asian, like, primary school sort of... Inv- like, you know, like, it was just... Yeah, every- everyone was... Chinese or Vietnamese or like Korean, essentially. Wow. I mean, I grew up in a part of California where most people were Asian. Like my high school yeah, was seventy nice. percent East, Southeast, and South Asian. Yeah, this is Sydney, by the way. I just don't want to like people to be like, "Oh, he's from Melbourne." No, I'm from Sydney. So yeah, okay, just- <laughs> let's be specific. Well, I mean, you've just <laughs> answered my question because yeah. I always ask this question, and it's because it's um, it's a classic question that anyone. That's not a white person living in the country that their accent is from gets this question a lot. And I'm sure you know this question. I'm sure you've probably been asked this question 10 times this week already. And that is, um, where you, um, where you really from? I mean, you already said Sydney, and that's enough of an answer for me no, to tell you true. the truth. That's true. Um, I don't want to like overstate the point. Um, but if you want to know about, like, ethnicity, um, I'm mostly Chinese, but I recently found out that my grandmother was Vietnamese, so, um... <gasps> Did you spit in a tube? No, 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 I, I went to Vietnam, and just, like, oh. kind of looked at some family record stuff, and just like, oh, okay, I'm Vietnamese as well, which is nice, you know. I always thought I was, like, monoracial, so it's quite nice to know that I'm biracial. Makes me a bit more exotic, yeah. you know, yes, so it's nice to yes, know you're a bit more exotic. Yes. Oh, yeah, we love being exotic. (laughs) See, for our non-Asian listeners, we can call ourselves exotic. Please do not call us exotic. Oh, that's really cool to know. I love when um, people are of mixed Asian descent. Like they, you know, to the outside world, they're just Asian. (laughs) But 
there's more going on there. And so did you, in this process of going to Vietnam and looking through some records, did you discover how that, how that familial lineage happened? Um, not really, but I think, I think she was probably, I, I, I'm fairly sure she was local to the region, but like, the thing is, I didn't have that any, like, literally any access to that side of the family tree. I only have access to the lamb side, which is Chinese and like, um, three generations in Vietnam, but like originally from mainland China. So I don't have oh, any access to her family tree and that surname is Lu and yeah, it's Vietnamese. I'm fairly sure. Um, I don't have any information, so it's quite. So, so your, most of your family is Chinese in origin, but lived in Vietnam for many generations. Well, that's my dad's family tree lived in Vietnam mm-hmm. for three generations. And then my mum's family tree is essentially just from mainland China. And then when, when did the Australian migration happen? Uh, I'm, so I'm a uh, first generation Australian, which means my, both my parents came from different countries to Australia. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So like as adults and they yeah. moved into or settled into an area with a high East Asian concentration. It so happened, yeah. And Just... then you were like, I'm out of here. I'm 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 done with this. And somehow you ended up to London. Was there was there other stops along the way? Yeah, there was um a five year stop in Melbourne and yeah, like I briefly mentioned the Sydney Melbourne rivalry, like at the beginning of this. Um but... Yes, yes. <laughs> I would love to di- I would love to dive into this because I think as an outsider, mm-hmm. I hear about this. I hear about this. I know, like, Sydney is the capital, mm-hmm. obviously. I have been to Sydney once upon a time. But Melbourne has the has the the reputation as kind of the coolest part of Australia. Yeah, I think that's what I thought. And then I lived in Melbourne for five <laughs> years, and now I'm like, well, I, I was just like, okay, well, you know, this doesn't feel like enough. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> yeah. it's cool, but it's, it's not cool enough for me, because I am so cool. <laughs> It's, I think that's what, like, that's kind of what happens when you want to make a living as an artist, though. You kind of realize, like, oh, uh, well, this pond isn't actually big enough to, like, actually finance my art practice. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure. You know, like, and even even living in London for five years, it just takes a while. Absolutely. That's it takes so long to feel settled in London. Like, I think there's people that come and try it and, uh, you know, don't feel like they've achieved the things they wanted to achieve in a year, mm-hmm. even two years, and they say, oh, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. But, like, I mean, I'd say it took more than two years for me to even feel like I lived in London. Yeah, for sure. And then it did take four to five before I was like, oh, I, I, have, a, I have a career happening here. Mm. And yeah. now I'm at seven years and I'm yeah. like, still... What is my career? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Yeah. What is its shape? So, so you were like, you know what? London is a, the slightly bigger pond That's that right, I need yeah. to explore. But, so when did that, when did that move occur? I mean, like, it's very dry, but I came to do my master's. So that's mm. like the really dry kind of blanket response. But, um, I also just, well, you know, that's one of the ways in, yeah, right? Because you can get a visa. Otherwise, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was just going to say visas. Visa. Even though the UK and Australia have like a weird, uh, you know, parent-child relationship, mm. it doesn't mean no. that the, the, the immigration is that easy. No. I know it's ex- super expensive. Yeah. Super expensive. My housemate's Australian and has spent too dang much, let's just you say. You know what? This conversation is visas. triggering. <laughs> Okay, trigger warning, trigger warning, warning. on the episode. Trigger warning, fellow Australians. So, um, the masters that you came to do, was it, was it art-based? Was it... Yeah, um, this is also very dry. It was a, um, sculpture degree at the Slade. Oh, you know, interestingly enough, um, in a recent episode with LaPhil, oh no, that wasn't sculpture, that was ceramics. Okay, they're not the, well... They were, they, a lot of their work was in sculpture. So there's some crossover there. Okay. Queer Asians making sculptures. Love that. And so y- you say it was dry. It doesn't sound dry, but the, I'm guessing the clay was quite dry. <laughs> I don't think I've touched, um, a slab of clay in quite a number of years, probably like prior to Slade. 
So you, <laughs> but but I I like I like the um, attempt at a joke. This I, is really tried, nice. I tried, I yeah. tried. So you, you pa- past that, did you did you evolve past the sculpture and find new passions and loves here? I think um, what I've figured out is that I don't need a like. I, I think just like this academic model of having like um, these like four different categories of artists is. Is quite um, like out- what are the four categories? Oh, what, what are they? I don't even know anymore. Um, so I was poor, <laughs> untalented, <laughs> rich from your parents. What, what's the fourth? Um, I grand grandiose. Oh yeah, yeah, opulence, yeah. Mm. opulence. <laughs> but is it? Is it, does it have to do with like? the form is it like 2d yeah, 3d exactly, film exactly. Some, or something it, it's, it's like that it's like um they've got media and then like which is like people who work in film or performance uh-huh and then they've got sculpture and then there's oh god i don't even remember painting is okay. there just three there might just be three i don't remember i've kind of blocked it all out like hashtag yeah. triggering <laughs> yeah yeah we're just so triggered already <laughs> we're just getting into it um so you were like, you know what? I don't need to do art that fits into these categories so much so that you forgot what the categories even are. Right. And you were like, art can exist in a multitude of ways beyond those kind of structured academic confines of what art, quote unquote, art with an E at the end needs to be. Yeah, you got it. Love it. So, so what, uh, what forms has your, your post academia, <laughs> unbounded, limitless art taken you since then? Um, so recently, I'm working in collage, uh, which has come come out of a, the pandemic. Ooh. Very sort of um, stuck in my room, art making, which is really cool because I work so small. And then recently, um, Block Projects in Sheffield commissioned me to do like a four meter wide billboard. So it's like I've, it's Whoa. gone from like it's gone from like a four size to like four meters, two meters high kind of situation. Whoa, you're gonna need a lot of material to cover that. <laughs> no, it just um, it's a digital print. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I was literally like, wow. Do you need like magazines to cut up oh to god. cover this thing? Oh my god! Right. Okay. Yeah. So you just have to make something the right dimensions. No, it, it, it's done now. It's happened. It's um. Oh wow. Okay. It, amazing. It came up last so. Month. Uh, the collages that you were doing in your room that were smaller before that mm. were those also digital? Well, no, they're they're all small. Um, that I only really work small, and it's not digital. It's um like literally physical cutting and pasting. Ah, oh, my favorite! <laughs> I loved in school. Often, like at the beginning of the year, the teacher would ask you to make like a collage that represented you. Yeah, and I'm sure if you found any of mine, you would just say, "Oh." gay very gay <laughs> so what kind of uh, what kind of material are you are you pulling from like uh, magazines and things like that do people even make magazines anymore they do actually make magazines um still but um i can't no. afford them so i get like i get donated them sometimes yes. from friends <laughs> yeah there was a moment when the charity shops closed and i was a bit like I- i'm making collages right now what what <laughs> like, i was just like no I'm, I don't, I'm not I'm not accepting that charity shops are closed right now because I have no way yeah. of getting magazines. But then I discovered like that you can find some really good shit on eBay and I did do that for Oh, of like, course. There's eBay. people that have like yeah. hundreds of issues of shitty magazines that they're selling for pennies yeah. because they just don't need it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think um I got like literally every single National Geographic from like 1973, like, like one specific wow. year. And this person was kind of selling them in bulk like um by the year. Um I'm actually a partner of mine bought it for me for a birthday present but it was just like i got every single issue in 1973 of national geographic is it is that was so was that a weekly is that 52 magazines Something like that wow oh my god that had to yeah. have been a hefty <laughs> a set of material yeah. but um but the really images rich. must have been yeah, beautiful I think, I think the 70s was like one of the best um decades for national geographic because like I've, I've got some from like the early 90s and even the paper stock has kind of gone downhill from there because the, the, the paper that mm-hmm. they used back in the 70s is just like so lush and the printing is like much nicer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was like so, there was no digital nothing back then. It was all legitly printed layer by layer, color by yeah. color. Famously, I don't know how printing works, but I just kind of bullshitted no, it. I, Does that sound about I right? I also uh, 
for someone with an art degree, don't really understand printing. Okay, good. Yeah, we don't just, need to know. We just need to know skip, how let's beautiful. Let's skim over that part, or you could edit yeah. it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's staying in. We edit nothing. <laughs> so when you're pulling from like things like National Geographic and and stuff like that, what if that's like nature and things like that? Like, what kind of what kind of things are do you? Because collage, you know, it's like pulling from here and there and repurposing and making new meaning and stuff. What kind of meetings? Mm. Yeah. So um I often like cut around the white people. Yes. <laughs> Great. We they we don't need any more of them to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um no. I I don't really know. Mm. I don't have like a methodology of 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 what I cut out. I think it's quite instinctive, which is what I like about collage. It's so low stakes. So you can just really be like in the most like relaxed, put some music on start cutting stuff and then i just cut start pasting stuff together so for the big one that you made recently Mm. for block and sheffield right what what was included in that i think i did uh, a few different mock-ups but there was a lot of imagery of kind of like like sheets like i don't know there was there was a sort of like two pairs of legs in like latex boots and then there was also Mm. a latex glove like a really like sort of a fisherman sort of holding a clamshell of some kind with an oyster inside. Um, uh-huh. There was like lots of sand dunes and I think there was another glove that was stroking a bit of like dew coming off a flower. Like this really abstract Ooh, like kind of images hot. that were a bit hot, maybe. <laughs> Sounds very eco-sexual. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, mm. I think unintentionally, so... I have a question. Do you run into any issues with this type of thing, like with copyright, because you're pulling from other sources? You know, I I have thought about it, um, but I think because um, most of the things I use are so kind of fragmented, it's not really Mm. recognizable, like, where the sources might be from. I I obviously wouldn't, like, cut out someone's, like, illustration or something or use it in a collage. Like, I I would never Mm -hmm. do that. Um, It tends to be, like... I don't know, like limbs from a photo shoot yeah. of like a model in a fashion editorial or something like that. Um, so it's not so identifiable. It's not really like, and but yeah, like, it's like a good I'd question have to, to assume Because you're doing all this work to change it up, it's got to be fair use. You're like, right. it's, it's, it's in the remit of remix, which is Definitely. technically legal, yeah. I suppose. I don't really know how any of it works. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, like make using like a really, really tiny, tiny sample if you're mm-hmm. a musician where it's like not even yeah it's, it's not really recognizable but i don't know i don't know anything about music i don't know anything yeah. about copyright about, i mean <laughs> yeah i've just not had to deal with that yeah i learned a little bit about this stuff during university mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the main thing that i remember is like we can blame disney for for all the copyright laws basically it was mm. disney claiming that like basically any mouse any cartoon mouse, mm. anything that vaguely had the Mickey Mouse head shape, which is just a circle with two circles, right. anything that vaguely recognized that they owned, the, it, they also extended the length of copyright, like and right. it, it, um, beyond like the person's death if a company's involved, just all that shit. It's Disney. It's all Disney. Evil, evil Disney. Oh, that's gosh. insane. I mean, that's massively prohibitive, like for artists, if you think about it, mm-hmm. because. Yeah, I, I just feel like people should be able to meander in whatever directions they need to in order to get to a place where like you you get to making some work that's like meaningful. I don't know. Yeah, it's quite it's, annoying. It's uh it is so annoying. That whole it's just so limiting. Like there's so many like obstacles and structures around in place because of laws to protect companies. If it was like mm-hmm. protecting like small artists, I would be more understanding, mm. but these giant corporations. Yeah, we just want to make some like Aladdin-inspired trans parody porn, right? Please, (laughs) please, yes. Actually, um, Lily Snatchdragon once gifted me a t-shirt. It's it's that shot of um, the prince going, leaning down to kiss Snow White. But they've edited in Aladdin kissing. So it's like, it's, it's the prince and and aladdin kissing and sleeping beauty's just literally asleep right beneath them and i was like yeah been there done that okay honey. and i'm sure that shirt is not legal and if disney knew about it they would sue me for owning it well that's the thing but it's just like that's so much better than anything disney's gonna come up with so you know oh, oh yeah we said that we said that yeah. 
were you were you a kid that grew up feeding on the disney hmm. yeah yes yes i mean the straight answer is yes because um my the first film i ever had on cassette tape was the lion king yes i mean it, a classic yeah, uh and, and then there was that, like, nice Mulan moment, you know, a bit of representation for the Asians. <laughs> yes, we needed her. Uh, but I wasn't, like, uh, the biggest Disney stan in the world. But, th- yeah, there was a moment, like, definitely, like, yeah, Lion King moment, uh, Simba moment, Aladdin mm-hmm. moment, Mulan moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think in in the West, mm-hmm. it was kind of hard not to have that be such a large part of your culture as a kid because even if you weren't really into it it was just everywhere mm-hmm. all the other kids mm-hmm. were watching it so there was no there was no avoiding it i was fully mm-hmm. indoctrinated into it i had all the movies on vhs would watch them over and over and over have you seen oh my meme? gosh um, what is it it's like can i have a crumb of representation please or something and I, I feel like that's I mean, what, like, you know, Asian kids are like, where it was just like, oh, can I please have one crumb of representation? And that was like Mulan, you know? Yeah. And we ate that crumb. It, exactly. Up. It was like, this is a full meal. This is a yeah. full meal for <laughs> We turned it into an everlasting all-you-can-eat buffet, exactly. that Mulan. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I was so sad to hear, now I didn't watch it, but the remake apparently mm. just took all the fun, all the joy, well, all like, the gender bending out. That The thing is, is like the thirstiest character in that um, film is Captain Lee Shang, the bisexual yeah. king. And yes. Bisexual they... king. And do you know what? I have a fun fact about that. So B.D. Wong, the mm. gay Asian mm-hmm. American actor who voices General Shang, I heard on a podcast recently saying that, yes, by today's standard, he would be bisexual or pansexual. He definitely was attracted to Mulan in 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 the in her male form. Yeah, that's hard. And I was like, okay, we have it straight from the source, <laughs> from the voice, from the mouth. <laughs> I love, I love that he was playing it that way. That's so good to know. This is really great trivia. Thank you, Shay. Few, this is, few. Yeah, exactly. But you were saying that, yeah, like and they uh, took him out of the of the remake. Yeah. It's so sad. Yeah, and instead they kind of split his character into like two different people. From what I've heard, like there's still Did a they? general, but that's not yeah. the love interest. The kind of love interest is right. another soldier who's like clearly hits on Mulan in in her boy form. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we all know Mulan to be trans, but this character was not trans, okay? <laughs> and he's just clearly hitting on this other guy the whole time. It's mm. not, it, there's no, there's no kind of sec- secrecy or inner turmoil. It's just, and then, and then there's nothing that comes of it. And Mulan's not like mm-hmm. clumsy, like in the original one. Her sister mm-hmm. is the clumsy one. And it's like, no, the thing that we loved about I hate her. when they clean things up. Oh, yeah, she was, that's, that's really she depressing. was flawed and weird and like didn't fit into the body that she was supposed to be in. I think that's why, Yeah. like, I feel like little queer kids, whether they were future, going to be trans in the future or non-binary in the future or just mm-hmm. gay or lesbian, all of us mm-hmm. could see ourselves in Mulan, mm-hmm. especially, especially yeah. us Asian kids. Yeah, for real. Uh, I remember going to the cinema to see it a friend and Mm -hmm. and his mom took me for my birthday to go see it and i just was like Mm. just blown away i just couldn't believe something like that even existed i mean yeah the whole thing is that she's super clumsy like i just don't know how they could have taken that out because i know it was a big part of the character it's just really sad and actually do you know want to know what's shocking in this podcast we have not dived into mulan yet this is the first time. That's really shocking. That, I, I'm appalled. I know. I'm, I'm, like, <laughs> I, I'm offended at, at my at my p- prior guests. All of them are canceled. But this is an important moment, and it means that already I need to take out my uh, very important historical artifact, my queer Asian mm-hmm. Pokedex, and we together are going to insert a new entry. That's and that is Mulan. What I can also do is I can send you about, I think I made like five or six um, Mulan trans memes when I was like really <gasps> early in my transition, like maybe like three years ago. I can send those to you. Oh my God, please. I will yeah. share them. I will share them. Not I bad. actually... I'm, um, I'm glad they're having new life actually, because I think I posted them, yeah, like three years ago on my Instagram and then like, you know, everything kind of went away. Um, so bring them I'm back. Gonna, I'm going to bring them back. Yeah, bring them back because the new Mulan came out and it mm-hmm. was not the trans a- a narrative that we all That's needed. Right. 
That's right. So we need those memes. Yeah. I actually um, dig them out of the archives. I mean, this year is kind of a big question mark. Um, and so I'm not sure if this show is going to get to happen or not. But I, it was supposed to open in July. But unfortunately, the venue is maybe not opening till later in the year and maybe not opening at all. Fingers crossed that's not the case. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we're losing a lot of venues. So I will say once again, anyone listening, please go out and support all the smaller arts and queer venues. Um, the giant corporation venues don't need as much help as our smaller ones so please go support but if it happens and it may not happen this year but it's gonna happen at some point i've written and direct i'm i've written a new show that i'm gonna direct and put on that is called moulin rouge (laughs) which is exactly as you'd expect it's moulin and moulin rouge mashed up and that's so amazing my moulin is explicitly gender questioning mm-hmm. um i'm the cast is going to be all all the all the men all the men quote unquote are going to be played by drag kings mm-hmm. uh there will be a drag queen with mm-hmm. femme power it's going to be mm-hmm. really fun when it eventually happens so listeners please do eventually yeah, really excited. come see That's it yeah gorgeous. one day one day yeah. Hey, it's JJ popping in with some exciting news, an update on the Moulin Rouge situation. It is happening. Yes, the show will actually be happening this year. It's going to open in October. If you are interested in being in this show, please get in touch with me directly. You can slip into Bitten Peach Pod at Instagram because we are going to be auditioning soon, especially if you're a queer Asian. I want you in this show. Okay, back to the pod with June Lamb. I actually have a question for your youth era, the developmental mm-hmm. stages of your mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. your experience. When you were young, growing up in Sydney, mm-hmm. who can you recall as the first or just like most standout Asian icon that you saw and thought, oh, whoa, it's me, or that could be me one day, or... I'm gonna, I'm gonna touch all on something like that when I am old enough to do such a thing. Do you know who it is? Actually, it's kind of like, and I don't think it's changed very much, which is quite amazing. So I think um, when I was like in my, uh, I don't know, I probably was twenty when I first started watching like Wong Kar Wai films. Yeah, yeah, okay. and it was Tony Leung. It was yes, it was, of oh. course. Um, we have the same birthday. We're both the 27th of June. Okay, meaningful so moment. Both, cancer, um, is that a cancer? Both cancers, yes. And I just like, I just lapped up Chunking Express. I just lapped up Happy Together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the mood in, for in, love. The, the dancing in the, in the mood for love. Like the little sort of like tango-y dance thing that he does. Yes. Is so camp. I don't know. Well, he's not, he's not gay, unfortunately. Oh. But he is so camp in that film. Um... Just, just love Tony Leung. Oh, uh, you know, I'm so excited for you to say that because um, in a recent episode, mm. LaPhil entered into the queer Asian Pokedex, the films of Wong Kar Wai, and we mm-hmm. were talking about mm-hmm. Maggie Chung, and we were talking about Tony Leung, and we were talking mm. about Leslie Chung, and we were just yes. like gushing over all of these, just, oh, just so beautiful and like refined yes. actors. Like something that and I love about. And the of like complexity of human emotion as well. It's just like. It, it's, yeah, without it incredible. being like so extreme. Like yeah. I think a lot yeah. of the time Western films, everyone feels everything so intensely and shows right. it all and screams. But like the nuances of, mm-hmm. of the acting where you can, you can tell the whole range of emotions, even though they're not expressing them all on their face. Is yeah. So, so important. Oh, okay. Well, that means Tony Lung also needs to go into the queer Asian Pokedex, which almost already did because of the Wong Kar Wai film mm-hmm. in, but Tony Lung gets, gets an entry all on his damn own. So when you, when you were, this was your early twenties, you said. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. That's when I first discovered those films as well. Mm. Good era. Um, I recently uh, rewatched Days of Being Wild, uh, which mm-hmm. he has he has a tiny cameo in the very end, um, but we're not. I don't. Oh. I don't think I want to focus on that. But so essentially, he's got a scene at the very end of that film that's about a minute long. I think a minute long, and he's just combing his hair in this very, very, very small flat with a low ceiling, and it's like the most ambiguous scene ever. 
because it just ends on introducing a new character who has no explanation, like why he's there. Um, and apparently that was because uh, Wong Kar Wai was going to make another film and it was sort of like leading on to that film, but it never got made. So it's mm-hmm. it's a scene from a film that never got made. Interesting. Which is really cool. There's a, I, it was LaFille that was telling me that mm-hmm. like a bunch of the films are like they're they're they exist in the same cinematic universe right exactly and um one of the later films which is called 2046 mm-hmm, has like a bunch of the stories kind of re i mm-hmm. haven't seen this one so i don't oh, you know have to, you have to watch it it's incredible <sighs> okay. it's the most kind of like um I don't know. It's like a mishmash of different genres and different, Ooh. uh, uh, like kind of, uh, it's, it's, oh, wow. I don't know. It's like, it's got this kind of like 1970s Hong Kong thing going on, but like in the future. So it's this alternate reality. Ah. It's fucking weird. Like, it, it's really hard to explain unless you watched it because it's, it's like kind of like Blade Runner esque in the sense that Blade Runner has this really retro feel. But is set in a future. In the future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, there's something interesting. I, I've always loved depictions of the future that have that kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Like, because every, every, mm-hmm. every era imagines the future to look different. But because mm-hmm. some of the early imaginations of the future were from the past, sometimes people revisit mm-hmm. kind of that retro vibe of what the future looks like. When I think of the future, sometimes I think about the Jetsons because yeah. I just love uh, that, that blend of, of kind of like kooky 1950s family, but, but, yeah. but in the future with flying cars. I love the Jetsons. Did you ever yeah. see the, the film that came out in the 1980s of the Jetsons where they like moved to a new space station? Have you ever seen it? No. I mean, oh, I, um, I can't tell you if it's great, but I know that there's one sequence that is, Absolutely amazing. It's basically a music video. Do you remember the artist called Tiffany? Mm-hmm. Not not Tiffany Young from Girls Generation, but Tiffany, she was a nineteen eighty singer. Now? Yes, I think we're yeah. alone now. She sang a song for the film that is that the movie is kind of a musical, mm-hmm. like there's songs sung within the world, mm-hmm. but this song is not within the world. It's mm-hmm. just over the top of it. Mm-hmm. And Judy Jetson, Judy, mm-hmm. the daughter Judy, mm-hmm. yeah, daughter Judy, she meets this like cute alien boy, and they have this kind of falling in love montage mm-hmm. where it's this song by um Tiffany over the top, but the animation style, it's it's them like following falling in love, and it's very like in space, and each each sequence in it is made in a different art style like oh, wow. one of a, one some of it's supposed to look like Kandinsky and That's some so of it cool. uh cubism and they have a Mondrian moment and they the way they're animated changes and it's just like the trippiest thing but so 80s as well it's yeah. really quite a moment okay um though well, i mean that kind of like vibes really well with 2046 i think you're going to like have a weird moment oh. of like oh okay yeah Okay, that's yeah. on my to view list. I, it actually, funny enough, I have a tab open of the mm-hmm. of the Wikipedia page for twenty forty six to remind me to watch mm-hmm. it. I have a lot of tabs open at all times. Too many tabs. It causes a lot of people stress. It causes me stress, but I can't close them. Do you have ADHD, babe? I've never been diagnosed. Okay, yeah. but <laughs> are you diagnosing me right now here live on the pod? I, I'm not. I'm not diagnosing you, but it, it's it's like it's like I, I, it, it's an ADHD thing. Oh, for sure. like the, the tabs that that or, or it's also might might be a Gemini thing as well. Mm. To be honest, mm, yes. So <laughs> it could be a Gemini thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about being a Gemini because I've I like know lots of other Gemini's. Uh, is most okay. of them know nothing about star signs. Oh, yeah. I think a Gemini is like quite... There were a few signs, like sun signs, that are quite skeptical of astrology, like I found. And, mm. and uh, Gemini, I think, is kind of one of those ones that are just like, oh, I don't really, I can't really be bothered. I'm not, it's not, you know, not that deep. Blah, blah, I blah. can just never remember. Right, right. Like it all flies right out of my brain. I could tell you like a few facts about a few of the signs. Mm-hmm. Like I know Scorpios are supposed to be s- sexy evil. Mm. <laughs> and cancers are the sign after my sign. That's all I can tell you about cancers. What is the what is the one or two like kind of standout things that I should remember about um, cancers? Okay, so 
both Cancer and Scorpios are kind of like really soft, but with like a hard exterior. And so like okay. we tend to keep small circles because we're like quite private. And there's this whole like kind of conflict avoidant thing because like it's like, you know how the crab like is shuffling from side to side. So Cancers tend to sidestep situations. We yeah. don't like to like face um, interpersonal conflict like head on if we can help it. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, um, I'd love to know what are your thoughts on, and I mean, they're not, they're not in, um, they're not in opposition of each other, but the, the lunar mm-hmm. Chinese zodiac and the Western mm-hmm. astrology well, zodiac? Um, I think nowadays you can kind of get a combined Western and Chinese astrological profile, which is quite oh. cool. Like, yeah, more details, more fun. What is your uh, what is your Chinese so I'm sign? So I'm 1990, which is year of the horse, and um, horse. with the astrological with the with Chinese zodiac, um, each year has an element. So mine is a metal horse. Yeah. Yes, and we're back in the we're at metal right now again. Ah, this is year of the metal ox, because that's on a five year rotation. I think so, if I'm not five mistaken. Different elements. Yeah. 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 Because it's the four that you immediately think mm-hmm. of: fire, air, earth, wood. water. Wood as well. Oh, wood! No, it's maybe, wood. It's not earth. It's oh, may- wood. Maybe it is earth. I don't know. <laughs> no, you're yeah. right. It's wood. Yeah. I think it's wood. And then metal. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about primal astrology? It's. I don't. I don't know how legit it is, but it, there is a website. It's quite fun to read through, and it is. Uh, a different mm-hmm. animal or creature sign. So it's got nothing to do ev- with sex. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And it's every single um, combination of Western and Chinese zodiacs. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what I was referring to. I just didn't have a name for it. Okay, but, well, yeah. at some point you should go on and find pr- primal astrology because I'm a, I'm a goat and um, I'm a Gemini. And mm-hmm. for some reason, that together, it's one of the shittest fucking creatures on the list. It's a centipede. Oh, babe, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I was like, okay. And someone was like, yeah, but it means you're all legs. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay, I'll take it. I've been doing my squats. The legs are looking good. Uh, these descriptions, I've done it with a few times mm-hmm. where I'll, I'll take two friends and I'll, I'll find mm-hmm. both of their charts and I'll read them without yeah. saying whose is whose. And every time, yeah. people have been able to guess which one is theirs. That's amazing. And you're like, well, there's something to it if people can do this. Um, yeah. It's really, really fun. I love that stuff. I'll send you mine after the podcast. Yeah, and we can dig, we can dig in, everyone. So okay. Primal Astrology, if you're interested, look it up. Now, I, I, I earlier I was going to ask, because it's something that you're involved in that I've, I've done a little bit of work with, but I think it's such an amazing organization. I want to talk about We mm-hmm. Exist. As far as I know, We Exist creates spaces for trans people and probably most importantly, Mm -hmm. raises awareness and funds for trans healthcare and trans rights. Mm -hmm. So how did Mm -hmm. you get involved with the project? So I um, am friends with Sophie and Joe, who started We Exist in October last year. And yeah, only October last year. I know. I feel like so much so much work has been done which is like just goes to show like you know it's a testament to how incredibly talented and passionate and what a great community we have as well you know um Mm -hmm. but yeah i um got involved with the pop-up cafe um which was uh shout out to protein studios for providing the space um which was for a month last year and then um was also involved in starting up uh, the residency at the Couple Projects, which was like um, a sort of uh, two-month-long residency with 40 trans artists. So, like, even from the get-go, that was really ambitious. Um, okay. And I became one of the sort of uh, co-organizers of the group during the duration of that residency, essentially. Nice. Yeah, and um, it was just really amazing, I think, like, the, the sort of ambition of creating a space for 40 different trans creatives like working in all different fields like we had performance performers um musicians dancers visual artists um illustrators and like sort of um like more traditional like live artists all 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 trans kind of in a space together um yeah so 
And it was pretty. It was pretty and fast. Was that? Was that? Is that? Was that a temporary situation? There might be a revival, but um, yeah, that was that was at that was end yes. of last year, and it ended uh, at the beginning of the year. And I mean, even if it doesn't come back in that same form at the same, there will be more and more and more projects coming from We Exist. Mm-hmm. I know in June there's going to be a show. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be in the show. That's right. I'm be in the yeah. show. Mm. Come see the show, people. We were just talking about going and supporting your venues. Go out and see the We Exist performance night. You can see me. And you'll be there, won't you? I'll be more behind the scenes. Oh, no promises. Behind (laughs) the scenes. Yeah. You'll be there, like, switching off the lights and locking the doors Maybe not something that dry, but um, I'll I'll, I'll find a way to make it fab. What else is on the cards coming up? Anything exciting that you can hint at or tell us about? Well, there's going to be a Trans Day of Joy 2.0 in uh, February next year. (gasps) Oh, wonderful. I I don't want to give away any of our headlining acts that we've started approaching because, you know, none of this is confirmed, but we are aiming really big. That's so wonderful. And will that be an in-person event or or digital? Definitely in person. Um, You know, I, I, I think... By February next year, we should be able to hold a big event. So I'm really excited for that. I'd like to believe that by February mm. next year, we can hold a big event. Mm. I would really like to hang a hat on that belief. Yeah. So Trans Day of Joy, it's going to be an inaugural thing. Like, you know, the, the first one was such a success. I don't know who, like, uh, you know, maybe some of our it listeners was so joyful. attended that. But it was just so incredible. And we just had yeah, such how amazing lo- feedback. If people didn't attend it, it was all online because everything mm-hmm. was happening online at the time. And it was just hours and hours of, mm. of trans people on Yeah, it cameras. was eight hours. Of, eight uh, hours. Exactly. Performing and talking and, and bearing their souls and showing their talents. Mm-hmm. And then there was like a digital dance party that was really fun. Mm. It was so joyful. And I just think it's really important to be holding these spaces. It really gives people like a lot of motivation and a sense of community when like, you know, a lot of people aren't seeing other trans people IRL or like, you know, people that aren't out yet. Like some people like living in homes with their families and getting misgendered at the dinner table, you know, in a pandemic. It's just so like revitalizing for people to be able to like see trans people in community. Truly. I was, um, I was back in California at the time. So I was eight hours behind, but I Mm -hmm. tuned in for the party part because Mm -hmm. it was late night in London, but it was like Mm -hmm. afternoon for me. So I was like, okay, I could get Mm -hmm. in a party mood. I'd like just had a shower. I was like doing oh, my like. Oh, you were showing off your skincare. I was doing routine. my skincare routine. I actually I bought some um, Argoline solution. Oh, <laughs> have you found any? Have you found any difference? Are you seeing a difference? I, I think I think it's more preventative for me. Yes, I don't. I, I mean, like. It's all preventative. (laughs) Literally, skincare is not about reversing. It's just about preventing. Exactly. So I will tell our listeners, you should be wearing SPF every single day. Every single day. I just want everyone to know you should be wearing a high (laughs) SPF every day because sun is the most uh, aging thing that can happen to your skin. Stress is bad too, but stress is a lot harder to avoid. We would know because you're from California and I'm from Australia. Yes. So, you know, like... If, if anyone knows we, we know. bathed in sunscreen okay this is how we stay this youthful look yeah so i'd love to know because you mentioned that some mulan memes emerged from your psyche at the beginning of your transition period and of course transitioning is a process that has no clear beginning and no clear end but i would love to know if there's a moment or a highlight from the process that you might be willing to share for anyone listening that might be unsure or going through anything similar or just has no idea what it is, what, mm. what, what even trans being, what it is. Um, I, I, I think like, I love talking about gender affirming stuff. So this is actually really nice for me. I think like what I want to kind of maybe demystify, and I'm not answering your question, Shay Shay, unfortunately, but like what I would like to... You can answer whatever question you <laughs> have made up. I'm answering my own question. Um, I, I want to demystify this idea that especially like trans people of color and like sort of femme identified trans people, I want to kind of demystify that like uh, this thing of having to have always identified with like masculine or like sort of like... You know, I, I did identify with Simba, actually. I did mention that. But I think, like, when I was young, I always wanted to hang out with little boys and I always felt like I needed to, like, be in those spaces. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I really wanted to be a little princess. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to, like, wear a frilly dress, 
I wanted to wear ruffles and I wanted my hair braided. Like I was really, really into being femme. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um, so I want to demystify the idea that like trans men have to, or, or or any men actually, any any sort of femme men have to have always felt that they identified with like boy things, like sort of like binary male activities, like yeah, sports or you know male clothes. Because there is the, there is this uh, belief about queerness, mm. specifically transness, that it should have been. It should have you should have been like that from day one, or else how can you say that you are trans? Well, I mean, I still I still like dresses and frilly things. Good. Like, do you mean so? They're fun. It, it's like I I was I was I was a faggot from day one, but I'm I, I think I think the thing is that like there is this idea that like you can't that doesn't really like it, it, there has to be this kind of like um you have to prescribe to Western masculinity yes. in order to be male. Let's touch on that. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a real thing and that's a real sort of like thing to unpack for like us Asian femme people. <laughs> Femish people. <laughs> you know, I think I I, I attribute um, my discovery of Korean pop music as kind of mm-hmm. when I saw alternative types of masculinity because mm-hmm. there was, you know, K-pop stars at the time who were more dolled up and more beautiful mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. any girl pop stars in the in the West. And they mm-hmm. were considered desirable, attractive, sexy men. And that, for yeah. me, I was like, huh? Okay. <laughs> I could get on yeah. board with this. And like, there was a specific era of my college career where I definitely thought I was dressed. I thought I was a K-pop star. My style was like ridiculous, but it was, it was, it was boys clothes, but it was very over the top and stuff. So I totally, I totally see what you're saying here. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think it's just like taking something out of a framework, isn't it? And then it just gives people like so much more license to like be authentically themselves. Cause I definitely had a moment where I was like, Oh, I have to like prescribe to some sort of like, western binary male thing no that doesn't that doesn't feel right that feels really like non-gender affirming it like that feels bad so i think i was just like no i'll throw that out because you said you you just said that you were a faggot since day one and that reminded me of your instagram handle will you tell our listeners what it is it's um assigned fag at birth the real afab yeah the real (laughs) afab yeah no that's funny um it's just very fitting i love it so if someone forced you at this moment and it doesn't mean that it was the way that you would yesterday Mm -hmm. or the way you will tomorrow what would be your identity labels that you had to check off of some sort of chart so i i i mean a femme kind of leaps out because i think it feels important to claim that for me personally and um, I'm really mm-hmm. inspired by this uh, disability justice um, activist, uh, Leah Lakshmi Piepsva. I'm so sorry, Leah, for mispronouncing your name. <laughs> um, and she has this amazing definition of femme that is like kind of pivots it on um, it being something that is about sort of uh, care and moving away from whiteness and expansive gender and softness and like kind of emotional vulnerability and neurodivergence. So like all of these things, which I I feel really like massively lined up with. So for me, like reclaiming femme space as a sort of term feels really important. And then, yeah, fag, I think fits really well you know um but that might not go as well on a cv no not not so much well it depends it depends on what kind of what kind of thing you're going but i do for. believe in like reclamatory language so you know yes. maybe in 10 years time we can all put fag on our cvs and that'll be fine Ah, uh, won't that be the exactly. day you know i i've been thinking about this more and more because like when i kind of embraced my non-binary side and i still sometimes feel this pressure that like even though like i am non-binary which is Mm -hmm. against the idea of a binary Mm -hmm. i feel almost like i cannot be too masculine ever Mm -hmm. or else it will invalidate my non-binary queerness because if i was assigned male at birth and i Mm -hmm. and i am 
sometimes mm-hmm. looking like a cis presenting male if I've let mm-hmm. my facial hair grow in because mm-hmm. I don't want to shave my darn face every damn day mm-hmm. because I have sensitive, beautiful skin. We were just talking <laughs> about it. Then somehow I'm not valid enough or I'm mm-hmm. not trans enough. Mm-hmm. And like, it's such a hard thing for me mm-hmm. to kind of negotiate within my head because I know non-binary is the rejection of, of, of kind mm-hmm. of those rules. And especially I'd like to, I, I think of myself as gender fluid. That's very much how I feel, which yeah. should mean that I can just slip and slide down the gender spectrum and exist wherever I want to be at whatever time of day. But I really feel, especially when it comes to like a trans event or something mm-hmm. that I should not like that. I don't belong because I'm not trans enough. Like, uh, you know, if I'm asked to speak at some sort of trans thing, I'm like, oh no, surely there's someone else that's experience mm. is, is, is more important than mine. And to know that is an important thing, you know, like if, if there is a space that is being offered to me where it should go to someone else, like that is good to recognize. But it's more of, I guess, an imposter syndrome that I feel within, within kind of the trans community sometimes. And I, I think, in the way that you were saying it's important for you to to be able to identify as femme and claim that, I think, weirdly, I guess I need to somehow, even though I don't want to use the word mask, I don't like that. Maybe I need mm. to say, like, there's there's a butch. Yeah, there's a, there's a butch in you that's just, there's like, waiting to be elevated and, like, given permission. Um, that's, that's beautiful, actually. Um, no, I was just thinking about, I don't know if this was something, like, I chatted to a friend about recently. I think, I think it was, I think I, I probably had a conversation recently with someone about like the ways in which visibility can be such a trap because what it does, especially like in this like incredibly binary white, like white optic centered world that we live in, um, visibility feels like a way in which we have to make ourselves smaller when in fact, you know, when we're trying to like use it to make ourselves bigger, we're actually making ourselves much smaller. I 100% like visibility as a trap is such a, it's such a difficult thing because it's like visibility is Mm. so, so important. But if there's not structures Mm -hmm. of like protection and support Mm. around the visibility, all it means is the person specifically, usually, you know, a person that's very visible in, in the culture, they're just a target. They're target for all the hate and they end up having to take the brunt of the, you know, nasty vitriol that all the transphobic, disgusting people have to say, and it all gets launched at these specific people. So that yes, they have the visibility. And yes, they can show uh, maybe young people or other trans people that like, wow, someone can be this visible, they can be at this at this status but it just also means that all the other people can see the person as well yeah i i that that's the thing i i'm i'm trying this year to be a bit more like decisive about um being in the public eye i guess because i i, I think sometimes i'm like oh because i'm a trans person with the privilege of medical care i now have to always say yes to every speaking opportunity just mm. because i have privilege and i have to being like you know like kind of like give hope to people or like try and like mentor people like if 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 and it's just kind of like sometimes i'm doing enough behind the scenes and like that's actually okay and like you know like like that there is that value to like not being visible and to like holding space to like do quiet work or to like help yourself grow Mm -hmm. i mean yeah there's 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 a balance that you have to be able to strike as well and some of it you know some of it is i'm i'm actually doing a lot of organizational work behind the scenes like things that you do with we exist where the spaces Mm. are being created the groundwork Mm. and the foundations are being created for larger things to grow from that but there's also an element of sometimes it's about self-preservation like Mm. i can't constantly be in the public eye i mean we're making ourselves sound like we're so famous we're like (laughs) oh sometimes i just have to step back from the public eye and get a little me time but what it is is uh, is actually like um no one cis people and white people don't um necessarily deserve our vulnerability shay shay like that's the thing it's like babes like Mm -hmm. that right Mm -hmm. am i right they like um and so it's just about kind of like conserving that and like it's like the, if i save that for a cis audience i can kind of conserve that for like 
another trans POC person and I can give that energy to them instead, like on a one-to-one level. Do you mean? Yes. I actually, I'm kind of at this, um, at this kind of juncture of thinking about what I do, you know, in terms Mm. of my drag career, because all the drag jobs coming Mm. my way are are kind of very commercially viable drag Mm. brunches and Mm -hmm. things like that, Mm -hmm. where the audience is all straight white women. That's right. Unfortunately, it's it's a difficult situation because those jobs are some of the best paid one-off jobs that are coming my way. Actually, definitely mm-hmm. the best ones coming my way. But I know from experience mm-hmm. of doing them for many years that they are so exhausting. They're so exhausting. They take so right. much of your energy to get through. And at the end of it, you think, you know, I don't think that these people have under- have learned anything about queerness. There was, there was mm-hmm. I, I will say, I once did a brunch where I had a lot more control over the structure of it. And I felt that by the end, I was able mm-hmm. to educate them a little bit. And that felt like, there was some value in that but the ones that i've been doing for the past Mm. year or so there's none of that there's none of that and if i get that Mm. exhausted and tired out from doing them which they are soul crushing then how am i supposed to Mm. uh then have the creative energy and positivity to go and do work in spaces where i'm creating platforms for other queer people of color if i like how am i supposed to go and put a lot of energy into the bitten peach and make our events successful if yeah. I've drained every last thing I have for a bunch of women who are more interested in taking boomerangs on their phone than paying attention to what I have to say. And yet I also need to make money. So that, it always it always comes down to this like, oh, well, shit. Yeah, of course I don't want to do this, but sometimes I got to make some yeah. of that money to be able to fund the other so, shit. So, yeah, you filter it back into the community. But like, I'm just thinking, um, I, I hear that. And, and I, I think it comes down to like really having like healthy boundaries, I mm-hmm. suppose. And it's like, yeah, we can like, uh, do something for the enjoyment of like cis white people, but they don't like deserve our trauma, for example. Like, do you mean like, yeah. it's like, I don't, I don't ever want anybody's, um, yeah, like it's like that's not for their consumption. So like, I might, I might, I might be willing to share some stuff, but like not with them. Yes, is 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 like kind of the way I see it. And I'm also like even like to drop in some RuPaul. Like I'm just thinking about how Simone won like uh, Drag Race recently, and like she's someone that obviously like shares loads, but like she doesn't like kind of wear her trauma on her sleeve. I love the sort of like confidence mm. that she has in like advocating for BLM and like talking about issues, but like, it's not in this kind of like, Oh my God, look at me kind of like, um, this is my sort of like trauma story kind of way. And I think there's a way for like POC people and like queer trans people to like do this without, uh, like exposing ourselves or like, like kind of harming ourselves in the yeah. process, like using the platform, but like yeah. discerningly. I mean, just the word that you said that really stood out was boundaries. And I'm like, right, those are a good thing to have. Hmm. (laughs) How does one do a boundary? Hmm. I need to, I might need to revisit my journal and figure out how to build some of those boundaries. But um, speaking of journals, it's time to whip out what could be described as the queer Asian journal, but that's too boring. So it's our queer Asian Pokedex. I'm pulling out it. It's, it. It, you can tell the listeners it is a physical thing I hold in my hand, a very important mm-hmm. physical document. And uh, it's time for you, my amazing guest, to pick a cultural item that could be from popular culture or your personal life. It could be a movie, a book, a food, a show, a, a song, a word, a dance, anything that you think is so importantly queer and Asian that it belongs documented for the rest of time in history in the queer Asian Pokedex. Dun dun. I am so excited about this. I'm so, 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 so excited because obviously you asked me before who my first sort of Asian, like, um, inspirational reference was. And, and I said Tony Leung, but like, this is me talking about a real person. Um, but like the very first sort of Asian exposure to transness was actually this anime called Ranma Half. Aha, okay, okay, okay. I've mentioned to you before. You have, and and I only know it because for a long time, for a while, I was wearing a little braid in the back of my hair, and it was very of this vibe. So tell me more, tell Mm. me more, tell me more. I didn't know it was trans. It's not explicitly trans, but it is very, 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 very fucking trans. Um, I'll explain explain why. (laughs) Um, So... 
Um, Around My Half is a Japanese um, anime from the 90s, which I watched dubbed in Cantonese when I was a kid about eight, nine years old. So this is quite early for me. Um, And which is quite funny because it's like quite like, it's a little bit sexy actually, the show. But um, it's essentially, it's about a teenage boy. I think he's 15 years old named Ranma. He's um, Chinese and no, he's not Chinese. I think he's Japanese. But him and his dad, who are both martial arts kind of pros, they go to China and they go to this um, mystical place that has a number of haunted lakes and they start uh, engaging in battle um, on these stilts above these haunted lakes. And then Ranma kicks his dad, who's like this big fat, big fat guy. And his dad falls from a stilt on into like a sort of haunted lake and turns into a panda when he gets wet. And then like Ranma's like, oh my God. And then the dad kind of like jumps back out of the lake and he's like this giant panda and kicks Ranma. And Ranma falls into a lake that is uh, where like apparently a girl died and he turns into a girl every time he gets wet. Oh my God. What? It's incredible. Right. So you've got this kind of like humans transforming into animals, men transforming into women, this whole vibe. And essentially it's like a high school drama um, because Ranma is betrothed to this girl um, who's also like a martial artist. And there's all this stuff where like she doesn't know that he can turn into a girl. And then she goes into the bathroom and he's like there naked as a girl. But then when, 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 um, the hot water, like, well, he turns back into a boy when the hot water gets on him, essentially. And so there's all this kind of gender bending confusion stuff where, like, oh my he's God. a girl and a boy and they're at high school together and, like, the people are falling in love with the girl and people are falling in love with the boy version and it's all just a mess. It's amazing. But they're both him. They're like, both him. Yeah, but... Um, he spends does- the whole series, which is, like, I think there's about 200 episodes. He spends the whole show trying to trans- find a way to permanently transform back into a boy. And not transform into a girl anymore. Exactly. Does when he transforms into a girl, is his psyche still the same, or is he his possessed? psyche is exactly the same? Okay, but he does kind of like sometimes he uses his power to transform into a girl for good. So like he might like you know ah. kind of like saving the day sort of thing, or like tricking some people, or like going into the girls' like locker room to like you know um, get to a mystical portal stuff like that. Oh my god! And and so the dad transforms into a, into a panda, and he transforms into a girl. And do they know? They know about each other. They know about each other. Yeah. yeah. So, but like a lot of the characters, like a lot of the jokes in the show, are based on side characters, like not the girlfriend, but like side characters not knowing that he has this power to transform. Yeah. So there's this like there's two women that chase him. So there's this one woman that also transforms into a cat, and she's another martial artist from China. And then there's another woman who's a gymnast who falls in love with the grandmother boy and then there's this kind of like really macho guy who's like a sort of sword fighter who falls in love with the grandmother girl so there's all of these kind of like side characters that are like trying to like chase the different versions of grandma oh my gosh that's yeah. uh, i love i love a magical transition it's it's gorge it's it's I, really it, funny as well it makes me think of um the original zelda mm-hmm. Where Zelda can transform into Sheik and, and like, you know, stay in disguise as this boy and stuff. Oh, I, I loved yeah. that as a kid. When I was, whenever I would play Super Smash Brothers, the one where they added the Zelda character, that was always for me. I was like, I can, I can literally magically transition with the push of a button. Hello. Mm. Representation matters. It makes me think of Street Fighter as well. Like, and how like camp, like all of the characters are, you know, like, I just feel like. That that was another form of like Asian representation was like kind of like you know all of the characters from Street Fighter. Absolutely! Yeah. Oh my gosh! I mean, all of those games, all the fighting games with like all the different hosts of characters. Mm. Some of the some of the outfits, yeah, exactly. Some of the looks, so great. you're like the, the over. The, it's drag. It's so Absolutely. camp. It's so ridiculous. I love it. Okay, this is really exciting. Ranma the the magical cursed transitioning exactly. fighter is so good is going in to the queer asian pokedex officially snatched in as a new entry which means we put in a few entries what did we do earlier we put in mulan mm-hmm, finally mm-hmm. finally a few tony lung mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and now ran my ha- ran my half ran my half yeah is the half because half boy half girl i think half girl half boy yeah. i might have to just start calling myself yeah. shay shay half <laughs> 
and I need to start putting the braid back in the back you of my should. hair. It was a moment. Pull my Ranma cosplay. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, this means that we're reaching the final pivotal moments of the podcast where I ask you, I give you the power to, to say a goodbye to our listeners, to leave them with any last word, a goodbye in, a, in words, in, in a wave, in a wink, in a song, in a language, in a, in a mumble, whatever you want to say, your final words, go. Um, okay, goodbye, farewell. Um, yeah, be like completely yourselves, please. Please. You will, will, yeah, please, please, everyone just be your truthful, honest, like, Asian, fabulous selves. I think it's really important. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Bitten Peach Pod. Make sure to come out on Sunday, May 30th, if you're free, to Downs Hill Park in northeast London to honor Sophie Gwen Williams. And if you're interested in being in Moulin Rouge, my show, please slip into my DMs. And if you're interested in coming to see it, mark your ding-dang calendar. It's going to be opening mid-October and running all the way through January at The Vaults. In the meantime, make sure to keep listening to Bitten Peach Pod. We're back every week with more queer, Asian, chit-chat, nonsense, fun times, yeah! I was, I was a faggot from day one.